Welcome in to News and Views with Tom Lamprecht. The stories you've heard and the ones you need to hear. Raise the death ceiling. Congress must deal with the debt limit. Consequences for the country are a major economic crash. Dangerous territory. Classified top secret documents. Prior to an election, they kept it secret. We will not comment. Sitting in the garage behind a Corvette. This is why there's such hypocrisy. What is currently happening? Your life, your values, your voice. This is News and Views with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. All right, welcome in. News and Views. It is Wednesday and uh, a lot to talk about. North Carolina Attorney General Josh Stein officially kicked off his North Carolina 2024 race for governor. I'd say it's a little early. Uh, We're talking about November 2024. I mean, we've just gotten over the 2022 election, but uh, he's jumping right in. Uh, He started out by releasing, it's about a three-minute video, and basically uh, it looks like, it's rather ironic, because he he starts out this little three-minute video ad talking about um, how his dad and uh, a couple of other men in uh, Charlotte were all about uh, helping the black vote, which is sort of interesting because you stop and think about the fact that uh, the double check the cable, uh, Clark just got a, a phone call on that. Um, just, just uh, oh, we're up. Okay, thank you, sir. Uh, where was I? <laughs> I? I can't multitask. But, but how how his dad and these men were were gonna you know make sure back in the early 1970s defend the right that every black person would vote, which was fine. I mean that was great that that happened back over 50 years ago. Yeah, 50 years ago. Yeah, but. Right now, you're running, chances are highly likely that you're running against a black man, Mark <laughs> Robinson. And uh, he, he uh, I would say, was stronger than, in situa- than insinuation that he was uh, going after Mike Robinson. Um, the lieutenant governor, who appears to be the lead candidate, this is out of the Carolina Journal, for governor in the Republican Party, was a target in Stein's initial campaign ad. In the ad, Stein calls Robinson and his supporters a different set of bomb throwers. Is that is that not what the definition of irony is? So you are making that accusation, but Mark Robinson is the bomb thrower. <laughs> it is kind of funny. Uh, you know, when, I, when I saw today the breaking news that Josh Stein was running for governor, I was like, well, you know, he's been running since 1966, since the day he was born. Yeah. I mean, his resume just, you know, screams for somebody that wants to be governor. <laughs> he goes on to say that uh, th- this bomb thrower threatens our freedoms and our future. Stein's ad shows footage of the U.S. Capitol on January 6th and, Ro- and of Robinson. That, that is, that's mudslinging. Yeah. That's yellow mm-hmm. journalism. I don't know what you call it, but I mean, so, <laughs> that, that, I'm sorry, that is low, down, and dirty when you're saying, oh, look at this, this thing that happened on January 6th, and then there's Mark Robinson. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I'm sorry, but that, are you that desperate that two years out, you've got to do that kind of thing? While some politicians spark division, ignite hate, and fan the flames of bigotry, Robinson wants to tell you whom you can marry, when you'll be pregnant, and whom you should hate, Stein says in the ad. So, I mean, he calls him by name. It's not insinuation at all. And listen, I have not heard Mark ever say that um, 
who you can marry. I, I've not I've not heard him say that. Now I have heard him decry the immorals of certain lifestyles, and I have heard him say, "Keep your figuratively speaking, whether it be books in public libraries or whatever, keep your hands off of our children. Mm-hmm. Don't groom our kids." I've heard him say that, and you know what? I think that's why he's so popular. But there's a reason why. He's going after Mark Robinson big time, and it's because of the numbers that Benny has. <laughs> well, I'd say the reason why, two reasons. Um, well, well, Mark, as far as Mark Robinson goes, I mean, all the early polls just end, and they're not really polls. They're, you know, certain you know, right-leaning organizations and left-leaning organizations. Mark Robinson, you know, he's, he's far out in front of people. But the 2020 election, when Josh Stein ran for attorney general and uh, I guess the second term, and Mark Robinson won for lieutenant governor, Mark Robinson received 87,256 more votes for lieutenant governor than Josh Stein received for attorney general. 87, and, that, and that's pretty big. Not to mention that um, in the in the AG election, that Josh Stein only beat Jim O'Neill by fifteen thousand votes. Right. I mean, so yeah, that was close. Yeah, so I mean, Mark Robinson. Uh, I mean, gosh, Mark Robinson got two hundred thirty thousand more votes than Dan Forrest did for governor against Roy Cooper, and only thirty thousand less votes than Roy Cooper did in in the election. So, Josh Stein's got to get out in front for for that reason. I mean, he's got he's got some ground to make up. And number two. Um, and I didn't get a chance to read all of it, but um, an article in Carolina Journal, I think I think it was Brad Crone referred to this. I just kind of scanned it. But he's afraid of a primary. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because yeah. there are some other folks in the Democrat Party um, that, you know, that could challenge him for the primary. Well, Carolina Forward had the polling. It's interesting. On the Republican side, Mark Robinson is dominant. Fifty-four percent of the respondents on the Republican side supported him, um, as opposed to twenty percent for Tom Tillis. And Tom Tillis, I, I, have you ever heard his name out there as running for governor? I, I have not, other than some polls. I've you know seen some uh, Republican polls um, push polling, you know, asking about him, Dale Falwell, Pat McCrory, and Mark Robinson, and and Mark Walker. You know, yeah. so. I don't think these polls are, you know, just well. I mean, they're, they're, about there. they're speculative because it's just still two years they're, away. They're speculative, but there's been some discussions, or they wouldn't be wasting well, their time with too. Tillis so. got twenty percent. Dale Falwell got four percent. Didn't even see Pat McCrory in there. I don't know if Pat has, you know, he's already done it a couple times and done it again. So Mark is out by a good a good bit. Fifty four percent for Mark Robinson, and the next two are Tillis with twenty percent, Dale Falwell with four percent. However, on the Repub- on the Democrat side. Stein is leading, but only with 22%, followed by North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services' Mandy Cohen, you got to be kidding me, 18%, uh, newly elected U.S. Congressman Jeff Jackson. He just got in. Why would he run for a governor? Uh, he's at 12%. 39% are undecided. 9% had another candidate in mind. So to your point, uh, Stein does not dominate the Democrat field. No, and, you know, yeah. Going out early, I mean, with with clear, I mean, Mark Robinson is is known nationwide. Oh yeah, uh, from from a name recognition standpoint. So not that um, I mean, Josh Stein's obviously won a statewide election a couple of times, but at the same time, uh, I mean, he's got some ground to cover to make up for that. But he also, I mean, I think it would be from a standpoint of okay, 
let's go go ahead and get out there before any other Democrat possibly uh, gets in the race and just get you know get the the momentum rolling, get the dollars flowing, so maybe he can just you know scare off a primary. Well, Dale Falwell was on an interview on WBT this morning, and apparently he was making reference, and I think it shows up in this uh, Carolina Journal article that Josh Stein has been out raising money, and I, the the inference was from Dale Falwell that you know that, that you're supposed to be doing your job as Attorney General. Why are you raising all this money to the point that? The speculation he is has somewhere between four and five million dollars in his war chest. Yeah, we've talked about before when he uh, <laughs> what some of these penalties or something that uh, that that basically various penalties in various cases and stuff. The attorney general's office has the right basically to divvy up the money, which I, I which I think is ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, I yeah. mean, I, it's the law, but that's something I think the, the Maybe general assembly needs to work on. But he's been going around all over the state and ha- and handing these big press conferences, making a big deal about it. All the papers reporting on it. He's been running for governor since oh, yeah. since oh, you yeah. know uh, Roy Cooper. Um, you know, obviously can't run again. I mean, he's been running for governor for four or five years. Well, to your point, I mean, I think he's he's going out there early, not not to try to counter Mark Robinson, but to do away with any primary uh, challengers. And to be honest with you, Manny Cohen, I mean, maybe she'd run. That would shock me if she did, though. Um, but what's curious about this is is the mudslinging he did on Mark Robinson in this this ad that he released. You call it an ad, but it's it's really an online three-minute little, you know, piece. But uh, what I, I'm trying, I'm pulling from memory. What was the uh, legal battle that he had with Jim O'Neill? Wasn't Jim O'Neill uh, going after him? Yeah, or false, false uh, mm. statements in an ad. Yeah, false ads. And then yeah. he turns around and does this to, to Mark Robinson. Mm-hmm. By the way, we've got a call in to Mark. Uh, I left a voicemail with him earlier today. I did not hear back from him. I want to get him on to get his response. He might not want to come on until he's ready to go ahead and announce. Listen, he's running, though. He's running, and uh, yeah, you don't really obvious. <laughs> just like uh, just like Josh signed the money he's raised at turn- why he's been attorney general. He- Mark Robinson, you don't raise that kind of money right. to run for lieutenant governor. And you know, you, you mentioned that Mark got eighty-seven thousand more votes for the lieutenant governor's race than than Josh Stein got for the uh, attorney general's race. I would actually submit to you that I think, in terms uh, for political junkies and people that really pay attention to it. You know, the the lieutenant governor is just sort of you shrug your shoulders and right. say, what's the you know, the lieutenant governor doesn't do anything. This guy has actually done stuff, and this guy actually, I would say that in most most times that the lieutenant governor race is compared to the attorney general race, the lieutenant governor race is lower profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, the only reason you might pay attention to it is because it's semi attached to the governor's race. But uh, and, and as you mentioned. What's really interesting, this doesn't speak well for Dan Forrest, but how many more votes did Mark Robinson get than Dan Forrest, who was running for governor last time? I mean, it was a couple hundred thousand, wasn't it? Yeah, two, uh, what, 215 or so? Yeah, 215, wow. 216. Yeah, that's a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I know we just got over the uh, general election, and you don't want to talk politics. Actually, I think this, this Mark Robinson-Josh Stein race is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, if it's in fact Josh Stein, I was just I was trying to think of the guy's name, and I think I got this guy's name right. But what, what's the the black gentleman from from um, Jeff um, Jackson? Yeah. No, um, okay, I think yeah, Michael Reagan. I think he's in. The, was he EPA? He's in the Biden administration. Um, yeah, he's he's. Uh, 
He's, oh, yeah, yeah, he's administrator of EPA. I mean, I have no idea. Yeah, what was he prior to this? I know he's in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I think he was in the. Uh, I think he was in the uh, General Assembly, wasn't he? I don't. I don't know. Maybe State not. State General Assembly. Yeah, maybe not. But, but you know, I've heard his name thrown out a lot, and uh, I don't know that. Um, I don't know that Josh Stein. He was. Yeah, he was. He was when Roy Cooper. He was. Uh, yeah, he was North Carolina Department of Environmental Quality. Now he's uh, okay. he- head of the EPA of okay. the Biden administration. Right. Um, I, I just I don't I don't think um, I don't think Josh Stein would want to run against a, uh, a a black man from Eastern North Carolina that's got statewide name recognition. <laughs> I really don't. No, no, well, in a primary. Listen, if if you're going to live by it, you're going to die by it, and if you're you're going to constantly be having a political ideology that says check certain boxes that makes you qualified yeah you know the 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 kamala harris story you know and and uh or the jean pierre uh story that you know you you're you you can't do your job but you can mm-hmm. check a certain box and you can check off certain markers uh inter- intersectionality or whatever you want to call it and therefore you're qualified if you're going to live up by that and you're going to propagate that which all these left-wing Democrats do, from Josh Stein and, and Roy Cooper all the way up to Joe Biden, then you, you might be running against that. Mm-hmm. I mean, how can you have it both ways? So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And for that matter, if you're going to live by intersectionality, shouldn't Josh Stein bow and just go ahead and concede to Mark Robinson right now? <laughs> yeah, that's true. Uh, it, I mean, the, the argument, that making the argument that, uh, hey, uh, the Republican Party uh, is all about keeping you know black Americans down and black North Carolinians down, and they don't they don't give you a chance and this kind of stuff. That's hard to make an argument when the guy you're running against is is a black yeah. man that happens to who, be a conservative Republican, and who you know he has an incredible story. I mean, it's a Clarence Thomas type of story. That uh, I mean, he was a blue collar worker, was going to night school, you know, raising kids and. Uh, it is a it is a marvelous story, and it's pretty hard. It's going to be pretty hard for Josh Stein to be able to try to knock that story down. Yeah, and I yeah I had someone uh, hit me here within the last couple of weeks about Mark Robinson. Said, well, you know, do do you do you think Mark Robinson has the ability to run the executive's office in North Carolina? Well, you know, first of all, I mean, you can make that argument. You know, it doesn't have a whole lot of organizational leadership. I mean, you could yeah, you can make that argument, but. But how about Josh Stein? I mean, he he has been, you know, Josh Stein. Uh, it's another case of the way the Democrats are. It, 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 they they get someone a lifetime in politics, and it's their turn. Right. It's his turn right. to run for governor. He had to wait for Roy Governor to do his time to run for governor. Now it's his time. We got enough freaking politicians like that at every level, from the state to Washington D.C. That their experience is, yeah, he worked in private sector two or three years as, a, as an attorney, but most of his career he's been on political campaigns yep. Yep. and political appointments, and that's why we are in the situation we are Bingo. in Washington and, and in North Carolina. Bingo. Good. Uh, changing gears just a little bit, uh, a short story out of The Hill, former President Donald Trump holding a 17-point lead over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis in a hypothetical GOP matchup. According to this new poll, it's a morning consult poll released earlier today. Trump with 48% among potential Republican primary voters. DeSantis with 31%. Uh, former Vice President Mike Pence came in third with 8%. Now, this poll's got to be screwed up. 
Liz Cheney with 3%? <laughs> Liz Cheney wouldn't get a half a percent. Former U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations Nikki Haley and Senator Ted Cruz both received 2%. You know, I mean, I, I don't have the numbers of how many people were in this poll, but... Uh, and what was the percentage on Donald Trump? Trump with 48, DeSantis with 31. I, you know, I don't. I actually don't believe that. I think the numbers would be. I, I mean, really, if you get enough people in the in the primary, um, I think Donald Trump might squeeze it. But it, it, he would squeeze. I don't. What What is the requirement? What would be the requirement? How much percentage would he have to have? Is there any runoff? I don't. I don't think there's, I don't a, think runoff. there's a runoff. No, there's yeah, not a runoff. So. so even if it's a uh, just a plurality, I, he, I, he I could see. I could see Trump winning by like. High 30s, low 40s at best if there's a lot of other candidates, but not not those candidates, not with those numbers, no. Mm-hmm. All right, look, we'll only have about 200, 300,000 more polls between now and November of 2024, so uh, we got, your hats. We've got, <laughs> we got a lot of time to blow you about way to it. Go. <laughs> Stay with us, we'll be right back. Welcome back to News and Views. He is a genius. He's all-powerful. He brought a kind of heat. He could be the best. Whatever. Of course, the best part you're invited to is to join in on the fun with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. It is uh, News and Views for a Wednesday. Uh, it is January the 18th, 33 years ago, 1990. Mayor Marion Barry was arrested in a drug enforcement sting operation, uh, videotaped smoking crack. He's gone to his uh, eternal reward, hasn't he? I think so. Yeah, oh. yeah I, I remember that, the tape that got released, and that was just amazing to me to, to see someone, you know, at that level. Um, you know, obviously DC's. You know, the, the mayor DC's pretty high fault. Probably wasn't there another video of him basically raping a woman too? Was that, was that the same video? Yeah, there was something. I know he was getting was double frisky, feature, getting frisky with one. I know that he was very handsy. <laughs> Not handsome, handsy. Uh, quick look at your weather forecast tonight: cloudy, a low of 48. Tomorrow, cloudy skies early, followed by partial clearing, 75. It was nice today. It's going to be really nice tomorrow. Tomorrow night, a low of 52. Friday, uh, some sunshine, a high of 61. So the next few days is going to be pretty nice. Saturday, lots of sunshine, only a high of 52. Sunday, rain comes back in with a high of 58. All in all, can't complain. Hey, it's January, and we're talking about 60s and 70s. So not bad. 5618255. Is it Craig? Craig from Hubert, how are you, sir? Hey, Craig. Hanging in there. Um, real quick, I just want to talk about when Joe Biden was pounding his chest on Monday about how he reduced the deficit. <laughs> big, big, big deal. We're still we're still losing money. Oh yeah, yeah. Am I the only one who understands the difference between deficit and national debt? Well, certainly most people do not, and yeah. you know, Biden. You know, my, my grandfather told me something years ago that uh, is true in everything. He says, you know, figures lie and liars figure. So uh, you can you can skew numbers, you can skew numbers, and you can talk about what doesn't matter all the time. Yeah, the de- and what he's talking about the deficit being reduced. The deficit. 
what was being the deficit being reduced was something that he didn't have any control of. It was something that was actually reducing it from pre from previous um, previous bills and previous budgets. But uh, yeah, deficit deficits just uh, but you know basically to our listeners, I mean deficit. You know, if you uh, have household income of fifty thousand dollars, you spend sixty thousand dollars, then you're ten thousand dollars in the hole for that year. But that has nothing to do with how much debt you got. I mean, we're, who's financing this ten thousand dollars you lose every year? And that's where our debt comes into play and gotten so big. It's scary. Yeah, my, dad, my dad, my dad would say to you on that one would be like, yeah, tell that to your shoulders. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah, it's uh, it's scary. Greg, thanks for the call. Uh, Washington Greg. Examiner has an interesting story out. Um, you know, Joe, I don't know if you caught the video yesterday. Uh, a bunch of people were in the Oval Office, and they were screaming questions at his uh, the whole deal with the, the documents and uh, the top secret documents. And, and he's sitting in there. Literally, I, I, there was someone else in the Oval Office with, this, with him. I can't remember who it was, but he's literally just laughing yeah. at the at the reporters. It's like a big joke, and uh, and and the the media lets them get away with it. I think the American people, and according to this Economist YouGov survey, I am correct. The American people are are sick of it mm-hmm. and uh, aren't buying it. Seventy six percent. In this Economist YouGov, uh, YouGov survey, said they supported the department's special investigation into Biden's handling of classified documents found in a Washington-based think tank and his home in Wilmington. That's even higher than the 64% who backed the Justice Department's special investigation into Donald Trump. Uh, you know, it's, it, again, it's really interesting how they they're trying to spin this thing. You know, the biggest part of the spin you know, that Donald Trump wasn't cooperative. Mm-hmm. And again, you know, some of the things that Donald Trump took were were memos, keepsakes, yeah. cocktail napkins, mm-hmm. and it was only because the National Archives decided that they were going to go after. And look, this was an inside hit job. Oh yeah, they, they didn't wake up one day and say, "Oh my gosh, we're mixed." Where the where are the cocktail napkins? Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, this was a hit job. They, 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 it's, and somebody from the Justice Department went to the National Archives. It, it didn't develop. It didn't start at the National Archives. Somebody went there and said, what can we get this guy on? And uh, and suddenly there was this fictitious raid that took place. Yeah, I mean, he, he, you know, they just say, hey, I, I, I know they took a lot of boxes out. He's probably got some classified documents yep. down there. Yep. You know, I, I heard a little bit today of the uh, White House uh, press corps uh, briefing by Corrine Jean-Pierre. Jean-Pierre. And, you know, of course, it's like a broken record. I, I get so much, so tired of hearing them say, well, you know, from here, and Joe Biden's saying the same thing, from here we're not going to co- comment on an ongoing investigation. Well, when when they raided Donald Trump's place, every damn body yep. in Washington yep. that's the Democrats was commenting about yep. it. Yep. And so for the microphone and screaming and hollering, telling out, vilifying the president, the ex-president. So, so the one question that why can't Corrine Jean-Pierre answer is just one question. I would say, well, how did you discover it? You said Joe Biden had no knowledge of it. it. Who discovered it? They won't say. That's. I mean, that's not going. Uh, that's the key hamper question. An investigation. That's the key question. They I mean, won't say. Yeah, it's it's pathetic. Well, uh, Joe keeps uh, keeps laughing it off, um, and again, more and more uh, stories out there every day 
with uh, folks inside Washington, D.C. saying this is not coming from the Republicans. No, I don't think so. And, and, you know, I hate to say it, but Joe Biden – Joe Biden wouldn't know if he took a classified document home or not because he he yeah. is so cognitively yeah. declined. It's just it's horrendous. The National Archives also came out today when they were asked uh, these same questions they asked Jean Pierre. They they came out and said we, we can't we're not allowed to talk about that. We're not you know that's something that we'd have to clear with the Justice Department. And I'm thinking to myself, wait, a minute, you're not allowed to talk about it. But yet you created mm-hmm. you you were a co-conspirator with the the Department of Justice in going after Donald Trump. Oh I mean, yeah, they sang like a canary yeah. when Donald Trump the whole Malargo yeah. uh, deal. Yeah. Um, I- interesting, you know, they, they uh, the White House uh, press corps or whatever is coming to kind of Fox News defense a little bit, not openly, but you know they haven't called on Fox News for like two or three days at the mm-hmm. press conferences. But all of a sudden, you're getting people that uh, are ans- a- answering the tough questions and really have her on the ropes. So it's kind of kind of underwater. Yeah, they, they either see blood on the water or they got the memo and say, "Hey, this it's time to attack mode against Joe Biden." Well, there's another article out today. I didn't I didn't dig deep into the numbers, but Fox News once again dominated in cable news. I mean, they just uh, obliterated the CNN and MSNBC. Yeah, every show they've got, uh, and I, I don't I don't watch. A lot of these shows, but uh, occasionally, if I find out someone like Tucker has a you know guess important guest or yeah. something, I'll watch it. But when you look at like Tucker Carlson shows and the um, the guy before him, Jesse Waters. Jesse Waters, and then the Greg Gutfield, the guy that has the late, late night, night show. show. Yeah. I mean, he is blowing late night TV yes away. I, he is beating the network programs <laughs> with his show. I, you know, I don't know when he signed his most recent contract, but all I got to say is Fox News better get their pocketbooks ready. Yeah. Because when you start beating yes. beating the networks the way he's beating them, I mean, we're talking the contracts of in the tens of millions. Oh, yeah. I, 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 it's been it's been decades since I stayed up and watched the. Uh, I shouldn't even say this. Johnny Carson was in a whole different league than these morons that are on the late night yeah. stuff now, and it's not comedy; it's just propaganda crap. But uh, it, it is, and and this Gutfield show is it's very obvious if you watch it. Yeah, they don't have a fraction of the budget. No, that no, the NBC, no, CBS, and no, other these shows not even have. close. I mean, it's a, it's a whole. I mean, I, I rarely stumble across some of these late night shows on NBC. And, well, I'm and, horizontal and unconscious. Yeah, but. I mean, if it is, I woke up. Well, <laughs> I wake up and had to go to the bathroom. as you start to do when you get our age. But anyway, um, but I mean, those. I mean, those are like productions. I mean, oh, yeah. to, oh, yeah. to, to oh, your yeah. point about the budget, but to your point on Johnny Carson, you know. They, they talk about co- comedians and 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 the, the physical aspects of comedy. I mean, he was a genius, and just yeah. his mannerisms yeah. and yeah. and subtle body language is. Oh, he, just, he he could just be sitting there and just sort of look up at the camera and had a certain smile on his face or a smirk on his face, and you broke up. Yeah, yeah, and 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 the producers during that show. I mean, they were good too, particularly the fact that you know. The technology is not not what it is today, but you know they would pick up on his you know his slight you know you know eye moves. To oh, yeah. very, I mean oh, yeah. they were oh, yeah. they were in tune. Yeah. It was it was good stuff. It was funny. Stay with us. We got more to talk about. We'll be right back. He's 
washed his head so many times he can now see the answers to his tests from high school. Uh, those aren't the right answers. And you never know what to expect with Tom Lamprecht on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. Welcome back in. There is a uh, new study from John Lott's Crime Prevention Research Center. Rather interesting, although it's not surprising. But uh, it's it's the numbers are probably more extreme than you thought. You know, everybody's talking about how the United States, our country, has a big murder problem. And yes, we do. But when you really zoom in closely, you realize it's limited to a certain amount of space. The new report shared with the Washington Examiner showed that big cities, including Chicago, Los Angeles, and Washington, D.C., are the murder centers and that even in those cities, there are areas where killings occur and they're growing more concentrated. Listen to this. This is interesting. The worst 1% of counties, the worst 31 counties, have 21% of the population and 42% of the murders. Hmm. 1% of our country. Indeed. 1% of the counties. I and they say. vote blue. Yeah. Oh, and they're, yeah. And they're all, 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 all they, uh, they are all Democrats. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, the vast majority. The worst 2% of 62 counties contain 31% of the population and 56% of the murders. Again, 2%. Well, how many counties are in the, in, in the whole United States? It's like a thousand. Southern North Carolina. Yeah. So I don't know. Uh, the worst 5% of the counties contain 47% of the population and 73% of the murders. So 5% of the worst counties in the United States, have they account for 73% of the murders. Comparing years, uh, the report goes on to say, the concentration of murder in tiny areas of cities and counties has surged since 2010. The murder map in the report looks like a map of the concentration of Democratic voters in the nation. The list, uh, the top 10... Murder areas include Chicago, L.A., Houston, Philadelphia, New York City, Detroit, Baltimore, Dallas, Miami, and Washington, D.C. Murder isn't a nationwide problem, Lot study said. It's a problem in a small set of urban areas, and even in those counties, murders are concentrated in small areas inside them, and the solution must reduce those murders. There is 3,033 counties in the United States. Okay. <clears throat> So, 3,005% of those counties account for 73% of the murders. Wow. What's mm-hmm. 5% of 3,000? 150. 150. Plus, um, you know, prior to, I mean, actually we go back to COVID, but prior to the George Floyd um, riots, Right. The, the actual crime rate in the United States and murder rate was going, going down. down. I mean, yeah. and and going down uh, pretty dramatically in the last, the previous five or six years. And then that's when it just spiked, when all of a sudden, primarily these um, counties and cities that look the other way and uh, you know, think that uh, burning down buildings and, and being violent is okay. Uh, prior to that, I mean, it was going down. So uh, it's... There's correlation that that when you when you don't make a big deal about crime, you embolden people, and you embolden people that are looking a reason to to commit crimes. You embolden them to, to see that well, heck, if I do it, I'm I'm gonna get away with it. Yep. 
Interestingly, uh, the other side of that story is uh, Democrat Mayor Lori Lightfoot, a.k.a. Beetlejuice, <laughs> is uh, in a tight race and not looking good for Beetlejuice. Um, she comes up, uh, the primary is February the 28th, four candidates that have got a shot at it. According to this survey, Lightfoot is in fourth place. Other candidates, Jesus Chai Garcia and Brandon Johnson, each had 25%. Paul Vallis, 15%. Lori Lightfoot, Beetlejuice, pulled in at 11%. Mm. A pretty big mm. uh, survey, 1,700 Chicago voters. So apparently uh, they have had enough of Beetlejuice being there. Well, you know, it, this goes across party lines for people that are, you know, r reasonable people and successful people and, and people with common sense. I mean, the number one thing they want their government to do is protect them. And with what's been going on in Chicago for the last four years, and then she makes light of everything. You know, oh, it's all a joke. It's just like Joe Biden. Uh, yeah, it's all it's, a joke. And it's the whole, dem whole, the whole Democrat. Uh, I mean, that's the Democrat Party now. I mean, and a lot of these candidates are, are George Soros funded type candidates, whether it be municipal elections or or district attorneys or prosecutors in these various places. Um, so you know, it, after after a while, reasonable people, even Democrats, are going to say enough is enough. Yeah, and, and we want our government to protect us. Well, and I think you've seen that with the whole defund the police. Yeah. That was a huge backfire. And the people that are actually living in the cities that are the, the the most prevalent victims of this idiotic ideology have have said, "Screw you! We're not you know we're not going there anymore." And suddenly they're backing off. Oh, that wasn't our idea. That was the Republicans' idea. Oh my goodness! When they say that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> Republicans, you know, trying to defund the police. Yeah. You know what? There's certain things in life that you see and you say, wait, that, that, that just doesn't make sense. Having a gay pride night at a NHL hockey game, that just doesn't make sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> Certainly, it just doesn't make sense. Philadelphia Flyers defenseman Ivan Provorov. I think I'm a, a Russian guy or something? Yes. Hmm. Uh, on Tuesday, he refused to go out for the warm-ups because if you went out for the warm-ups, you were required to wear a gay pride jersey and use gay <clears throat> pride tape on your hockey stick. Provov maintained that his Russian Orthodox religion prevents him from supporting the LGBTQ agenda. That's why he chose not to participate. He said that everyone is always talking about choice and said, I respect everybody. I respect everybody's choices. But he added, my choice is to say true to myself and my religion. Hmm. His uh, hockey coach backed him up. All right. Yeah. But, I mean, is, is it, does that really surprise you? That, uh, the, the bigger surprise is that they had a gay pride night. I, I just, I'm sorry. There are just certain things that. Well, I, I'm not saying I'm not saying there's not uh, some some gay hockey players, but I would be surprised. I mean, those guys are pretty tech on tough. And I'm not saying there's not some gay guys are tough. I mean, I'm not saying that, but they're just they're just pretty. They're, I mean, they're pretty much the top of the food chain of alpha males. I mean, they're pretty tough guys. Bingo. And they're a hell of athletes. If you've ever been to a hockey game, those guys. Oh. Well, you, you got to be a boxer and a hockey player. But you, you, when you see them on a on the ice, and you, then you then you would look at the rosters like, 
Gosh, that guy's moving for six four two thirty. Yeah. Know? Oh yeah. And yeah. they just I mean, those yeah. guys are athletes. Yeah. I haven't been to an NHL hockey game in a long time. I need to do that. Um now this this will really uh pique well it's not gonna pique your interest, but it, it's it's rather curious, let me put it that way. Um this week a period and fertility tracking app announced that its product is for, quote, everyone with periods, including <laughs> biological men who identify as women. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm so, good Lord, is, is, is how in the world? <laughs> and we're supposed to sit there and take these things seriously. Um, one consumer, a conservative commentator, Ali Beth uh, Stukely, called out the, this, this uh, company is called Flow, an ovulation tracking app to help build a better future for female health. The, the propaganda says this isn't reserved to just biological females. This week, the company responded to a Twitter user who pointed out that men are claiming to be women using the app's secret chats feature where women discuss what's going on with their bodies. Uh, out of the website, hi there, we aim to support everyone with periods, regardless of gender. So this one conservative commentary calls them out and says, trans women don't have periods, Flo. And my pronouns are they, them. <laughs> Is that and, what she and, said after that? And, and, and the company <laughs> blocked her for saying that. Mm. I mean, we live in la-la land. We live in, I mean, this is cuckoo crazy. <laughs> bizarro world. It is bizarro world. Oh, and yet we're supposed to take these pe people seriously? <laughs> yeah, there was some, um, there was some college. I think it was actually, <clears throat> might have been in um, the Ivy League just a few years ago. I want to think, was it, is Colgate in the Ivy League? Sounds like it. I, I can't remember. One of the colleges just with <laughs> Put Here's tampons a, in the men's room? Oh, yeah, put tampons yeah, in uh, the men's room. Yeah. yeah. Mm. I'm good. <laughs> I don't need one. <laughs> now, take those stories. Breitbart has a story, and, and this is like, duh. Over half of males who surgically transition. So these are biological males who chop off Uncle Albert. <laughs> That's basically what we're talking about here, folks. They experience so much pain they need medical attention, according to a new study. Vaginoplasty, a surgery that typically involves inverting Uncle Albert and clearing a void between, you know, that down below. In other words, you're chopping off Uncle Albert and you're saying you're a woman. Uh, often results in significant medical complications. Well, what a shock. <laughs> yeah. What a shock. Captain Obvious. You're yeah. Gonna, yeah. <clears throat> You're going to go in and put a hatchet to Uncle Albert, and, and it's going to be uncomfortable. Mm. Oh, my gosh. Who would have thought? You're going to Lorraine Bobbitt. <laughs> 55% of men who pursue the, pursue the surgery report being in so much pain they need medical attention, even a year post-operation, according to a study from the Women's College of uh, hospital in Orta uh, Ontario, Canada. The study tracked 80 patients and checked in with them three months and five months after the operation. Pain is not the only byproduct of genital, genital mutilation. In fact, 43% reported bleeding. 34% reported sexual function concerns. Well, yeah! You're going to mm. cut off your penis and you're going to say, I have a hard time urinating. <laughs> wow! <laughs> I'm no doctor, but that's not too hard to figure out. 
Yeah, I think a basic, I think a basic uh, licensed plumber could tell you that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Stay with us. We'll be right back. This is your Drive at Five, an ENC with Tom Lamprecht. Welcome back to News and Views on Talk 96.3 and 103.7. So we've heard a lot of, of the Democrats' angst in Washington as House Republicans have handed out committee assignments, including assignments to George Santos, the liar from New York. And uh, the Democrats just, you know, how can how can you put up with this stuff? Yet they somehow... <laughs> Ignore well, they ignore their president, who uh, you know he had all kinds of he <laughs> chronic liar. But there's another guy out of Washington by the name of Clyde Shavers. Clyde Shavers <laughs> lied about his military service. Washington Democrats rewarded him with a seat on the Veterans Committee in the House. Shavers, a Democrat representing the 10th Legislative District, narrowly defeated the Republican incumbent state senator after news broke that he fabricated his military history. On his campaign website, Shavers claimed to have served for more than eight years. He served as a nuclear submarine officer and public affairs officer with tours in the Middle East and Southeast Asia. But he didn't serve eight minutes on a nuclear submarine. The Democrat's father, who outed the deceit in a public letter, said his son only passed one of three courses required to qualify as a nuclear submarine officer. After completing the first course, he transitioned to a public affairs role. But the lie was outed too late in the campaign, allowing the first-time candidate to eke out a victory. Uh, through the controversy, Craven, Washington State, sent, uh, State Democrats back shavers they wanted to seat, and now they're trolling voters by seating him on the House uh, Innovation, Community, and Economic Development and Veterans Committee. Um, what's interesting about this, though, is... Impersonating and lying about your military career can actually be a legal issue. Mm-hmm. Stolen valor. Oh yeah, saw. yeah. I mean, for uh, this guy out of New York to lie, Santos to lie about the fact that uh, he uh, couldn't complete his volleyball career because of an injury—that's not going to land him in jail. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. he might not win the next election, but lying about your military career—that—that uh, that could be a legal issue. Yeah, Joe Biden's been lying for 50 years. <laughs> <laughs> we got to run. Uh, play a little political trivia tomorrow. We'll see you then. 5 o'clock. See you then. Bye-bye.